Before we begin episode 45 of the Aka Education Podcast, I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of the listeners out there. I have decided to end the season with episode 45, which is a great episode with the most amazing person that I've had the pleasure of knowing, Rob Dietz. And I'm taking the summer off. We as educators, we need that time to recharge and, you know, and get everything back up to speed. You know, it's going to be nice to spend time with the family and just uh, enjoy the next few months, especially after the craziness that was the 2020-21 school year. So I am looking forward to be back in August with season two with a lot of new guests and a lot of great ideas to share with all of you. So once again, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes and don't hesitate to contact me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com if you ever have any suggestions for um, for guests or for topics to talk about, or if, if you just want to share, you know, a comment or story about what you've got from the podcast over the past, you know, nine months. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Enjoy episode 45 of the Aka Education Podcast. On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with acapella mastermind Rob Dietz. From his humble beginnings in Ithaca, New York, to becoming one of the most sought-out names in the acapella industry, Rob talks about his career's trajectory and what lies ahead. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Aka Education Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish here with episode 45, the final episode of the first season of the Aka Education Podcast. And here with me, I have one of my most favorite people on the planet. I've kind of known him since like he was in high school and just watching his career grow to where it is today. I'm just, it's so cool to be able to talk to him about it and just talk shop with him and give you the opportunity to, to pick at his brain and just hear what he has to say. His name is Rob Dietz. Rob, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Absolutely, man. I like uh, as, for people that don't know, um, you know, Rob, you know, Ithaca born and bred, uh, uh, Ithaca, New York, and I was living in there uh, for a couple of years. I was part of a group called the Sons of Pitches, um, which in turn turned into the Fault Line, the group that I was a part of for a good couple of years of my life. And uh, Rob was in high school at the time when I first met him with his group Ascending Height That's and right. uh, putting on amazing concerts and i was just floored with the the talent that you had there just uh, he arranged you know for his group and he just it was amazing to see so i'm so excited for you all to get to hear rob's story so i'm actually going to start with ascending height rob um go for what, it what gave you uh, the opportunity and the idea and desire to start ascending height when you were in high I, school I'm like, I'm amazed that we're starting with Ascending Height because Ascending Height almost never comes up anymore. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's, that's a huge blast from the past. Yeah, I so I got my start um, in high school. I founded a group called Ascending Height, which was so named because we all, when we started, we were all different heights. And then by the end of high school, we all grew to be about the same height. So it was we both ascended in height over the course of high school and also were at different heights at the very beginning. So um, yeah, you know, I, I got the bug to do that actually from the Sons of Pitches, like before, before you were in the group, the first iteration of the group, mm-hmm. um, I remember, I don't know if you know Nate Parker, you probably know him. He was, he was in Ithacapella, which <laughs> is the group that I wound up singing in college. Um, and he was my middle school music teacher at Boynton Middle School in Ithaca, New York. Okay. Um, and he was friends with these guys who were alumni of Ithacapella who'd gone on to this professional acapella group called the Sons of Pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had their very first, I think it was actually their second recording, but one of their very early recordings, um, that he would play in his classroom 
And I remember one day walking in and I heard it and I was like, this is so cool. What is this? I have to become obsessed with this for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And that was just sort of how I caught the bug. I, you know, I, I I listened to it in his classroom and then I just, you know, all I wanted to do was, you know, make acapella music and do this stuff. And, uh, there were really no groups really, you know, high school acapella was not so much a thing when I was coming up. There was like one group, one town over that was run by the teacher. And there was like one student run treble group at the high school that lasted like one year after I got there. But it, you know, it didn't, wasn't really much of a like institutional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I went to high school and I was like, I really want to make this music. I got to figure out a way to do it. And I just kind of roped in other guys that I just was like, there was a, I met my bass Crawford Doran who actually wound up singing with me in the funks as well. Many years later, um, I met him in homeroom, like freshman year. And I went up to him and I was like, you can sing low. You're in my acapella group now. He's like, all right, fine, whatever. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of drafted people that way. Um, and people that I had known from uh, singing in, in choir in middle school and stuff like that, that I knew were into it. Um, I just sort of, I pulled them into the orbit and I was like, we're doing this thing. So, um, and it was amazing. It was a great, you know, a great thing to have for four years. It was, we started as a quartet. We became a quintet by the end of my freshman year um, because one of the guys, our tenor's voice dropped. So we had to pull in another tenor whose voice then also dropped. (laughs) And it was just an endless cycle of baritone that Mm -hmm. (laughs) we kept having to course correct. Um, But yeah, that was, that was the thing. And I just kind of got that and, um, as I was getting into it, that was sort of the heyday of the the RAR message board. So I was mm-hmm. sort of like getting on the message board and meeting people that way. Um, and I remember uh, I met Deke because uh, he did a, an arranging workshop at his house actually in San Francisco. And I was like, this is the guy. He's like the arranger dude. He's doing this class. Like, mom, dad, can I please go to San Francisco to work with this weird dude? And for <laughs> some reason they were like, sure. <laughs> um so I went out and did that, and I wound up working with Deke a little bit, and um, I actually wound up publishing stuff with him when I was still in high school, which was incredible. He sort of took me under his wing and mm-hmm. showed me the ropes of the published acapella world, which uh, was crazy and is crazy. We can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just a, it was sort of a, a process of getting the bug and then just realizing like, oh, there's this world out there. And it was at a point where, you know, it wasn't popular yet like it wasn't you know it was it was still kind of a punchline um but the underground scene you know the people that were really into it were really into it um so i found those people through rarb and i found those people through that networking and uh going to festivals and sort of the early days of so jam and stuff like that and um just you know i I was a real sponge i was just trying to like pick up anything i could pick up and like oh i you know i want to i want to pick up this beatbox sound oh i want to pick up this vocal technique like all of this stuff um and just sort of wound up combining it into Ascending Height. Um, and some of the guys were like, I, I think I, the, the spirit of Ascending Height was just sort of like, yeah, Rob, whatever you like, we'll <laughs> sure, we'll do it. Let's go for it. Like, we'll go. Yeah, 100%. Um, and so, yeah, it went that way. And that was a huge, you know, part of my high school experience. And, you know, I, I remember that really well. And it's really one of the only things I liked about high school. <laughs> it was that, that and the musical were like the two things I liked about mm-hmm. high school. Um, but yeah, that was sort of my process of, of getting into it and and kind of getting excited about it. That's awesome. And you, you mentioned the books that you, you know, you did some arranging with Deke and I actually have those books, you know, like I think one of those early books. Yeah. I think one of them is like an orange cover. It's like one of like, cause like all the the cap, the contemporary acapella publishing or whatever. Yeah. So, um, definitely have that. And, um, I remember seeing you in concert. Volume one, check it out. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And, um, I remember seeing you guys in concert, um, at Cornell, at one of the halls in Cornell. Um, that was probably, that might have been our last concert. Actually. I think it was. I think it was like yeah. your kind of like uh, grand finale. And yeah. um, it was it was an interesting time for us because, you know, as you said, you, you remember the original iteration of the Sons of Pitches. I was one of four replacement guys. Right. You know, and I remember going that night and uh, we we had a situation where one of the four replacement guys didn't end up showing up. So we were kind of going through a revolving door of, of people. And, um, you know, we remember going to see you and, uh, the group. And I just remember, you know, I wish we took a chance. You know, I wish we were like, Rob, you got to come join us, you know? And, um, oh, I mean, man. I, I, I would have been, I would have been so flattered. I, my mind would have been fully blown by that. I think. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was great to see. And just the way that you guys were able to work up a crowd and, and you, you took that with you to Ithaca Pella. And I mean, Ithaca Pella, I remember competing against them. I mean, I was a pot pointer count and I remember competing right, right. against them in like the early years of the ICCA and uh, oh, just yeah. how phenomenal they were. And, you know, me going from pot 
and then living in Ithaca, making friends with some of those guys in Ithaca Pella and just yeah. watching that and then seeing where you ended up taking them. I mean, I remember, um, I believe you were in the group, uh, you had the opportunity to perform with Incubus. Yeah, um, that's right. That was the out. end of my, that was the end of my freshman year. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, that was, you know, sorry, go, go ahead. I was going to say that's the, that's the early days of YouTube, right? Like we got that yeah. gig because that was like one of the first videos that Ithaca Pella put on YouTube because YouTube was like this little, like, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, like uh, throw it up there, like whatever, who cares? Right. And it was like, oh, Incubus, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it was all of a sudden we were flying out to Los Angeles to do this gig with them. Yeah. I don't uh, remember. It was, it was really crazy. It was graduation weekend because some of those seniors were like, this yeah. is like the once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to perform with a band who has been like, you know, multi-platinum for, you know, how many years? So it was cool to see that. Plus when I look at it that way, you know, the fact that Ithcapella was doing Incubus tunes, you know, mm. and you, you mentioned how um, acapella, you know, in those early years, you know, some people considered it the punchline, the kind of joke, you know, even you look right. at Pitch Perfect, there's like, there's parts where like some of the, like the older group is kind of considered the punchline or whatever. Right, right. Um, but, you know, starting to hit on these different genres and really expanding what acapella can be and what it can do was, you know, was something that I remember Ithacapella doing um, while you were there. And yeah. uh, so your time in Ithacapella, um, is that what led you to make the move out to the West Coast? No, actually, it... it... Uh, it was sort of fortuitous that I kind of wound up here with Ithaca Pella at that one point because I've just always kind of really liked it out here. Mm -hmm. um, but the impetus to move out here was actually the sing-off, um, which mm -hmm. is what I wound up doing later. And that was, you know, so I was still in school when the sing-off started. The first season, I think, was 2009. So I was junior, rising senior kind of deal. Um, and I remember actually Ed Boyer recorded Ithaca Pella's album, the mm -hmm. second album that I was on with the group in between season one and season two. So we were, they were ramping up to do season two. And I was, I was like, Ed, you know, I'll, I'll do anything to work on this show. Like, you know, can I, I'll, I'll make coffee. I can't make coffee. I'll learn how to make coffee. I still don't know how to make coffee. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. Like I, I gotta be part of this. And he was like, all right, you know, I'll keep it in mind. Like can't promise anything, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they wound up hiring, you know, Ben Bram, who was out here, obviously amazing and was local. So that was a part of the decision to pull him in. And mm -hmm. I was still in Ithaca. So it was like, you know, th it, they weren't pulling people from all over the place to do that yet. But when they expanded to the third season, I was actually at that point, um, after Ithaca, I went and I did a little bit of grad school in Sydney, Australia, which was really just an excuse to get out of Ithaca because I had grown up in Ithaca and I had gone to college in Ithaca and I was like, I've got to get out of here. It's a small town and I got to go do something else. Um, so I went to Sydney and I did that for a little bit. And then in the middle of my study there, it came back for the third season, which was the big you know, 13 yep. episode season. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. If I'm ever going to work on this TV show, it's going to be on this season because it's, you know, it's like twice as three times as big or whatever, um, you know, three times as many groups. You know, I, I got to be part of this. So um, I knew that Deke was the producer on that. And I sent him a Facebook message and I was just like, hey, Deke, you know, I know I talked to Ed about this. I know that you guys are not, you know, weren't hiring outside of L.A. before. Uh, maybe you are now because it's a bigger season. I would love to be part of this coffee, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what, can, what can I do? And he's like, all right, hang on a beat. Let me see, you know, maybe I can get you, maybe I can pull you in as an assistant. I was like, great, I, whatever, like whatever. I would love to just be part of this. Um, so ultimately, you know, it took a little while talking, you know, different producers There's all this stuff that has to go down. Um, but he wound up pulling me in as an assistant for the music team. So I actually started as uh, what's called a PA, which is basically, you know, uh, it's a step above coffee, but only slightly because I was on the music team. So basically I was like, I started off by um, kind of being the assistant in rehearsals with um, Chris Diaz and Ben Bram, who were the, the arranger um, group coaches at the start. Mm -hmm. um, so I was doing things like recording. Um, we used to do recordings in rehearsals for the producers to listen to. So I was like in charge of capturing the recording while they were working and stuff like that. Um, and then about halfway through that season, um, you know, things started to heat up and Deke was like, all right, I'm going to make a push and see if I can get you uh, on, on staff as a full coach and arranger. Made the push. I did it. And then from there on for the rest of that season and then season four and season five, I was uh, working on the show. So that was what brought me out to L.A. And I had been in um, Australia before that. And I was like all right, I'm just like, I'm going to cut my time short. I'm going to move to LA. I've always liked it out there. I actually mm -hmm. toured out there with Ithaca Capella also. Um, one of our, our um, winter tours was out here. So I'd always liked it. And then once, once I worked on the show, I had a lot of connections from that and I knew people and I sort of had a, a friend group and I was like, you know what? 
Again, grew up in Ithaca. Winters suck. I never need to experience that ever again. Mm-hmm. Let's move to Los Angeles where it's <laughs> 72 and sunny or right now 92 and sunny. <laughs> and, you know, and just and and have that be the thing. So uh, that was really the impetus for the for the move out here. Um, and I never looked back. And and here here I've remained. That's awesome. I, I remember auditioning for that third season. We actually because like the, the fall, fall line, line. Yeah, the fall line kind of like yeah. dissipated for, for a couple of years and yeah. kind of did some gigs here and there. But we thought, hey, you know what we did? You know, we did AGT, you know, back yeah. in like the second season there. And that kind of gave us some steady gigs. And we thought about, you know, we had a different iteration of the group, a couple of new lead singers and whatnot. And uh, right. we ended up auditioning. You know, we, we saw Deke in the city. I remember it because vividly because we go in there we sing our first tune they dig it and then we come up with like amazing grace and he's like, <laughs> like hold up hold up hold up, hold up. Yeah, you, yeah, just, yeah. you just knock this out of the park and you give us amazing grace he's and we were like well give us a song give us 20 minutes and right. he literally like gave us a song we went outside 20 minutes made something up came back and he was like oh wow Okay. You know, and then when it finally came down to it, you know, because, um, our bass Matt was like in heavy, you know, conversations with Deke, um, the, the way it sounded, it was like between us and the cat's pajamas, Uh which which Chris, Chris Rossi, you know, Chris Rossi was in there and, you know, Skinner and those guys. And, uh, they ended up going with cat's pajamas, which, yeah, totally fine. And like, I always think of that because that would have been an opportunity to, you know, meet pentatonics and and some of the other groups that came out of that that totally. year you know and um so it was it's it's cool that you got that opportunity to you know it was you got your foot in the door and then it kind of grew from there for you to continue on and that's i mean the fact that you were able to you know work with chris and then work with ben and you know obviously you and ben now like have this awesome history you ben and avi you know right. with acapella academy so right um you know i'm assuming acapella academy really kind of derived from your meeting on the singer. Yes. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that was definitely, and actually a lot of the way that acapella Academy is sort of run also comes from the way that the sing off was made up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, like the whole idea behind having, um, you know, splitting kids into groups and having all those groups be really specific genres. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of came from our experience on the sing off of like, okay, you know, we can't just have, eight acapella groups that all kind of sound the same. Like we need, we need to really have like eight specific, you know, different sounds in order to make a great show. Right. Um, that was really something that came from our experience on the sing-off. That's awesome. And um, so and not for nothing, we've had a few uh, alumni on this podcast already. Like yeah. Maida Cohen and uh, Michael Stolar and uh, Tahila Alfonso, like they, they're the ones who have put together the theme song that is on the beginning of every episode. And, um, you know, when I, when we talk to them, just, they credit a lot of the things that they do now to you guys, you know, you've been, you've been an Avi. So like kudos and credit to you. And, you know, this past year, you know, I mean, we keep talking about this past year, but things, you know, are uh, looking better. And on the bright side now is that, this past year was all virtual for you. And uh, so what was the challenge compared to, you know, bringing all of these, you know, these young singers and these young performers into work with you for, you know, for a few weeks compared to the, the online, the digital um, experience. Yeah. Yeah, The digital experience. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest obstacle, and I think anybody would probably say this of any, any of their programs, but it's just, you know, making it motivating, right. And, And creating, a lot of the motivation, I think, you know, a lot of what makes the Academy experience so great is the connection between people, right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of what makes acapella great in general. And, you know, when you, uh, I don't want to say take it away, but when you strip that back to a digital version, you know, it, it can be tricky and it can be tricky to create experiences online that, uh, have enough of that in it that people still feel connected mm-hmm. and that people still feel, you know, like they're having that experience. So, uh, that was really the big challenge of digital last year. And then we're also doing, you know, this year we've got, uh, three, what we're calling cohorts in three different locations in the, in the U S, um, that are participating in the digital program together. So we've got a little bit more of an in-person component, but this year is still, is still primarily digital. Um, and I think, you know, one of the great things that I found was, you know, I, the experience made me realize that Academy really is about the people and those <laughs> people are amazing, whether they're online or in person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot, of, I was really happy that a lot of that connection seemed to be preserved in that experience just because of how amazing our staff and students are um, and the energy that they put into this music and, and you know, what they put out there. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly was a challenge to create 
particularly in the classrooms experience, right, to create educational experiences, you know, and this is not unique to our program by any stretch, but I'm sure everybody, you know, this has been the story of 2020 of like, yeah. oh my God, how do we make online things interesting? But, um, you know, really thinking about like, how can we create classes that maybe, you know, aren't just like, um, oh, it's, you know, it's a digital version of this thing, but things that are actually enhanced by being done digitally, right? Classes that are actually um, have things in them that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do as effectively, um, not digitally. And, you know, not every class is like that, but we've been trying to, you know, make it not just a, a substitute experience, but a really great experience in and of itself. Right. And when it comes down to like what the students work on, is that like all the arranging, is that coming straight from you and Ben or is that just like a multitude of people? Do the students do arranging? Like what is, what is yeah. uh, like a typical camp experience? It, what is it like? What's, Academy what's experience. What's the musical side of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So most of the, so basically uh, Academy is broken down into, we usually have eight groups, right? That, that operate, um, that perform in the final showcase that rehearse throughout the week. So uh, those eight groups most of the arranging is done by their directors and sometimes mm -hmm. their co-directors a little bit um, so every group has a director um, we have just an absolutely outstanding roster of people that do that Shams uh, Amanda mm -hmm. Taylor Chris Diaz we've had unbelievable people over the years that have, have been in that role um, they do most of the arranging for that uh, sometimes the their co-directors do a little bit as well but that's that's where that the bulk of that comes from um, and then the other part of it is we also have an all academy choir mm -hmm. um, which is really that's Ben and me and Avi's kind of baby that we that we do each year um and that one is uh, Ben and I arranged for that. I've done a lot of composing for that, actually. That's been sort of a, a guinea pig choir for me to kind of develop um, this new choral sound that I'm excited about, where I'm trying to bring in elements of contemporary acapella to the choral world mm -hmm. uh, and create um, sort of new choral compositions that use some of those techniques and are really, you know, choral and, and rooted in the traditional sound in nature, but have... Uh, really exciting contemporary sound to them. I hope that's the goal. Yeah. Um, so I've really used Academy Choir to try to create that and, and model that and explore that. Um, so that's where I do most of my arranging. I've arranged for some of the small groups here and there, um, but that's sort of how that, that gets broken down. Uh, and then throughout the week we have... Um, Students have opportunities to arrange on campus, um, so we have a lot of kids that arrange uh, either as you know part of the program or on their own, and then perform things in like the talent show, or we have got like a lot of sort of informal settings throughout the week where people get to workshop things. Um, but that's sort of how the the student arranging component comes in. But yeah, that's kind of the breakdown of of how that works. Cool. And you mentioned how you're trying to bring in like contemporary acapella into like the the choral aspect right and you yeah. actually you just won a a jury accommodation for uh something that you composed for the king singers that's right um so you want to talk a little bit about that experience and yeah what absolutely it was like? yeah I, I mean, yeah interestingly you know 2020 um has been a really challenging year, but it also, and I've, I've had a couple of bright spots in the choral world this year, mm -hmm. which has been fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I submitted a piece for, uh, the King singers, um, new music prize. I'm trying to remember what it was. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. The new music, the new music prize. Mm -hmm. Um, and it got a jury commendation. Um, it was a setting of, uh, James Walden Johnson's the gift to sing, um, which I just, I called the gift cause I wanted to be all edgy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sort of blend of, uh, there's some body percussion elements in it. There's, um, you know, some contemporary acapella -y kind of chord stuff in it and some dims and cascading mm -hmm. things and, and, and things like that. Um, so that was something that I, that happened. Uh, I forget when that, uh, was awarded. I think it was, it was earlier this year. I want to say February. Um, but then just after that, also excitingly, I got to present a class at the ACDA national, uh, digital convention, um, called Coral and Acapella Bridging the Gap, where I really talked mm -hmm. a lot about, uh, exactly, exactly that, what I try to do in my compositions and also in my directing of sort of bridging that gap between, um, the choral sound and the contemporary acapella sound, um, and I designed this class that was really uh, for choral educators that, you know, are really interested in contemporary acapella, but maybe don't have all the tools to, you know, either didn't do it in college or maybe did it a little bit and they're not really sure how to copy paste that information over into the choral classroom. So um, one of my kind of goals in life right now, one of the things that I want to be for people is the guy that says like, no, 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 you can do it. You can do this. That's <laughs> yeah. great. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not scary. Like, I, you know, I know it seems scary and there's bass and drums or whatever, but like it, you can do it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not too crazy. So, um, 
a lot of what I've tried to do in this past year with that class and then just with uh, other interactions I've had with people is to sort of disseminate that information and try to get um, more of a, a knowledge base out there and more of a familiarity with contemporary acapella. Because again, going back to what we were saying before, you know, 15 years ago, it was a joke, right? Mm-hmm. And now you've got pentatonics, you've got Pitch Perfect, you've got Home Free, you've got all these groups, you know, that are out there modeling what this can be taken you know seriously taken as a real contribution as a real part of the music industry and pop music and um you know i think teachers are seeing that and obviously seeing you know how it gets their students excited and you know how it can be used as i like to say you know the the sort of ethos around it is you know it's the dessert or it's the like it's the gateway drug and that's true it can certainly be those things but there are also so many ways that contemporary acapella is an amazing learning experience in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many things that you can learn, so many different ways you can learn to use your voice um, that are really applicable, that, that can be used actually in choral settings for other styles of music as well, um, that just make you a better singer, they make you a better musician, um, you know, that, that, that give you access to a range of sound that's really useful in any career in music, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to do. So um, I, I really see acapella as an exciting gateway into, you know, that element of it, not just being like, oh, it's a way to get kids in the door, but it's also a way to train kids to do, or people of any age, but to train kids to do things that they're really going to need if they want a career in music. Right. Um, you, you bring up a lot of great things that I, I'm in my head, I'm formulating like, you know, the questions I want to ask about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about how, there's a lot of teachers out there who are scared or, you know, nervous about approaching acapella because they apprehensive. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Apprehensive. <laughs> Do you find that to be a, what a majority of, you know, the educators that you talk to are, or, or mm. there, is there still the select few that are like um, maybe set on, you know, classical repertoire only, or, you know, show mm. choir, but not, yeah. or, you know, vocal jazz, but not. Yeah. Know, yeah. Hello. <laughs> I would say for the most part, people seem to be more and more open to it. Um, I have a group that I run out here in L.A. called Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an auditioned group from kids from all over the L.A. area. Um, and the second year for that, I sent out a, a bunch of emails. I was just trying to find any choir directors in the area that I you know, I thought might be able to send kids to, to, to the program. Um, and I remember emailing this one person. I don't remember where they taught. But I, I wrote, you know, a legacy. It's this, you know, pop acapella thing, et cetera, et cetera. And I got back a two-sentence email that was like, I don't wish to promote popular music in my program. Good day. You know, and it was like, <laughs> well, it right. was so it was so negative, and it's my least favorite email I've ever received. <laughs> um, but I would say that that person is in the minority. I think most people are really seeing, A, how exciting it is, but also, you know, I think that it hand-in-hand hand with the expansion of acapella has also been the expansion of... Uh, knowledge about how to con- how to teach contemporary voice. Um, mm-hmm. That's another thing. You've got people like um, John Henney and Amy Chapman, and um, I work with Gerald White out here as my voice teacher. There's people that um, are really starting to get more of a method around pop music teaching um, and vocal music in particular. Um, so the sort of old notion of, you know, all pop singing is bad for your voice and you're going to hurt yourself, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that as acapella has risen, also there's been this rise in contemporary pedagogy that allows people to see, oh, no, you can do this in a really healthy way. And in fact, you can do it in a way that makes it, you know, gives you tools to sing other styles in a healthy way as well. You know, different awareness of resonance and support and placement and all that great stuff. And, Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the more that that's been disseminated as well, I think the more people who come from a, you know, a classical, a classical background and they want, you know, they, they, they want that sort of angle on things. It's starting to make more sense to them because there's now methods that, you know, make sense to them and take advantage of the things that they already understand to teach this new style in a way that, you know, proves that it can be healthy. You know, people can't see, but I'm smiling right now because this was literally <laughs> this was literally my next question. Because I mean, you know, you're an Ithaca College grad. You know, yeah. Ithaca was a music conservatory. You know, oh yeah, Potsdam. I was a Potsdam grad, and the Crane School of Music was one of the first music schools to open. Right. So, yep. you know, we had been taught, you know, the the classical, you know, classical technique, classical training, whatnot. And yep. um, you know, there seems to be that shift now. I was talking to uh, a couple weeks ago. I was talking to a couple students who are up in Potsdam and um, one of them was actually was able to perform a pop tune, um, you know, vocally 
correct, obviously, but in their recital, you know, so there is, there is that shift, but you, you talk about, there's this new idea, this new methodology or on, on contemporary singing, this pop technique. Um, but not a lot of people really understand that there is different ways to sing. It doesn't necessarily just be that classical technique. Um, you know, you can kind of pull parts from all these different styles, right. you know, but like, is, is that what you're finding? Like you say you work with, um, you know, you're working with someone on, you know, pop technique. Are you finding that really there are pieces of that classical training, but taught slightly differently for the pop technique? So I think, you know, the, the thing when, when I was, when I was learning the, the idea was always, you know, if you master uh, if you master classical technique, so to speak, which is really European classical technique, because there's all kinds of classical techniques, and I think it's important to be clear about that too. But uh, if you master, you know, European bel canto singing, you know, that is the foundation, and then you can, you know, if you can do that well, you can do anything well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a not false, but a large oversimplification, um, because. If you try to do everything with that sound and that approach, you will hurt yourself trying to sing pop and you won't, you will not strengthen the muscles that you need to have in order to do pop in a good way. Um, there are commonalities, you know, posture, breathing, you know, there, there are fundamentals. This is stuff that I talk about in my class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are things that are common between the two, the two styles. Um, but, you know, I think saying if you learn how to sing classically, you will be, you know, you will be set up to be a great pop singer is not an entirely true statement. It will give you some of the tools that you need to be a great pop singer. It will, it will teach you how to um, have healthy vocal production, right? It may give you a better awareness of how your instrument works so that you can manipulate it on your own to make more of a pop sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can say, you know, from my own experience, I had a lot of bad, you know, quote unquote, bad habits from pop, um, from well, from pop also, but from both the pop and the and the um, classical singing world that I've had to overcome. You know, it's not just the pop that creates the bad habits. It's sometimes you know trying to use the classical technique in the pop technique that creates bad habits as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over darkening, swallowing things. You know, putting too much pressure to drop your larynx, stuff like that. Um, you know, can can create real problems. So uh, it. Uh, it, it's not that simple, I would say, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I encourage people, I've been the last couple of years, I've been really diving into the science of singing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned John Henney is a great resource for that. Um, Ken Bozeman's book I just finished is great. Um, but just, you know, the science of vocal acoustics and, you know, how, how scientifically, you know, formants boost harmonics and, and how that changes the character of sound. You know, that stuff is so important for pop, pop singing, for singing, for singing pop in a healthy way, you know, understanding how to, cha- how to, first of all, you know, get a good, you know, clean stream of air to power your, your vocal folds, but then understanding how the tone that you produce with your vocal folds can be manipulated from the folds out into the world, you know, without putting any, unnecessary pressure on the folds themselves huge 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 for pop singing right it's you know right. it's it's just about it's just about manipulating you know the harmonics in, in a way that matches the the style so uh, that's also an oversimplification i'm getting very <laughs> nerdy now but you know i i think that's that's something that's really useful for a lot of people um particularly people who are coming from a more classical training uh you know having that understanding of the science and being able to apply that to different styles and not just the the classical, you know, bel canto singing is is really important. I think. Right, and and I love that we're starting to make that transition because you know yeah. it was always I always feel like it was taught it was like it was this way, was the only way. Yeah. You know, and now now there is there is that shift, and I think that's important. Yeah, and groups would brag about it too. I mean, I think that was that was something that Ithaca Capella also was like. Founded, Ithaca Pella was founded as a men's course. You know, it was founded as a as a TTBB ensemble, and you know, we always sort of prided ourselves on, oh, we sound better because we, you know, we sing with good choral technique, and we sounded better on some things. Right. <laughs> you know, we sounded we sounded better on things where that was good. Um, but you know, I think that there there are a lot of groups that you know also groups that are subsets of choral ensembles that, you know, have that sort of mindset of like, oh, we're chorally trained. So that makes us, you know, automatically better, a better acapella group. 
and in some ways it does. There's, there right. are definitely things that cross over. Um, but, you know, there's a, a broader world to it that I think people are starting to become aware of. And it's really exciting to see that happen. Um, and it brings more authenticity to the acapella sound, which is there, which in turn allows acapella to be read as more authentic in the greater music industry. Yeah. And you know what? If, if you need any proof, you literally just listen to contemporary acapella recordings from the Napster LimeWire area, right. era where everything chum-be, was chum-be, 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 yeah. got that choral sound and everything right. was labeled rockapella, even though it wasn't rockapella. Exactly. And then you listen, you know, you listen to, you know, pentatonics and, and a lot of the collegiate groups now that are, you know, and even the high school groups now, you know, you actually, you know, you arranged for Briarcrest One Voice, right. who, you know, is, is, you know, a Sony labeled artist, like they're like, top quality, you know, and right. just the, the shift in what you hear in those old recordings to what you hear now is, is, is it's evident that there is that shift. Yeah. It's huge. So, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about one of your pieces that I thoroughly enjoy and I love the reason behind it. And, um, it's a song that you wrote called endure. Cool. Uh, and yeah. uh, so for those of you that aren't aware of Endure, it was a piece that uh, Rob wrote. You know what? Why am I explaining? Why don't, Rob, <laughs> you want to tell a little, why don't you tell a little bit about uh, Endure? Sure. Yeah. So Endure is a setting of um, Justice Kennedy's um, majority writing on the um, decision to legalize gay marriage at the, at the federal level, at the Supreme Court. Um, so... Uh, it is not a traditional uh, poetic text. <laughs> it's actually a legal text um, that I took and adapted uh, for choir. Um, and it came from, you know, th- there was a summer where um, I was going to, I went to a bunch of same-sex weddings um, and they were all reading this passage and I was listening to it and I was like, oh man, this is just, this is so powerful. This is like the, the message of this that, you know, love is love and is inalienable and is universal. Um, and that this community is as deserving of that love as any community, um, just really, really struck a chord with me. Um, and so I kind of started digging into that text, um, and finding ways to make it, uh, you know, to make it poetic. And I actually wound up I didn't really, I didn't uh, edit the text very much. I reordered some things and I, I put some things in other places where they weren't originally mm-hmm. um, to sort of uh, make the point a little bit more clear and to you know, give it a little bit more of a, a flow. Um, but yeah, that piece, yeah, it, the, I, could, I could talk about this piece for a while. So I would actually be curious w- what you would be curious to hear about because there's like so many different elements of this piece I could talk about. Um, I, I really me, appreciate you bringing it up because I love I love this business. It's I think it's my favorite. The th- it's the thing I've written that I'm most proud of. Today. Yeah, and and you should be. I, I just love the fact that you know the for me as you know when I arrange, I I only go with what I hear. And like you you take something and make it something greater. You know what I mean? Thank you. You know Thank the you. decision itself is is a huge landmark decision for for us as humans. You know, but to be able to take those words and create something just just beautiful about it. I'm I'm just complimenting you on just a beautiful piece. Thank you. And uh I just uh you know your your thought process behind it. it uh, I always love picking the brains of, of composers and how, yeah, like, thank you. how that came to be. So, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and it was, it was a piece that, um, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting for me to write that as somebody who is not a member of that community, but you know, wa- always wants to be a huge supporter of that community. And I think that that's something that I have always kind of, um, I don't want to say struggled with, but something that I always kind of constantly reflect on is, you know, as the composer, you know, how, what I always hope that I can do is, you know, to give people the ability to express what, give to give them a blueprint to express what they want to express, right? Mm-hmm. And so for that piece, it was something where, like, you know, I wasn't speaking from my own experience. I was speaking from kind of what my hopes are, you know, and, and, and you know, what I hope, um, what I hope to see in the world. But also, you know, it's been great to see people, uh, who are from that community take that piece and bring even so much more meaning to it. Um, and that's something that I really am excited to see also when, cause I released that piece on March 18th, 2020 or something, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't know if you know what else was going on on March 18th, 2020, but you know, coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for that piece to be performed live yet. Right. Um, 
there've been a few digital performances and, and people have, have picked up on it, but, um, I'm really excited to, um, you know, see what people are able to communicate with that piece as, as they bring it out into the world. Um, cause it's, yeah, I, you know, it's a really powerful one for me. And I think like the other kind of inspiration for it, um, beyond just the text and beyond, you know, seeing these people that I loved and cared about, you know, have this experience and the joy that they were feeling around it. Um, there was also sort of the pain aspect of it where, um, there's a group called the Kinsey six, um, mm -hmm. who you may or may not have heard of, um, Acapella group. They call themselves the the, the best. That's what is it? The drag drag acapella beauty shop quartet. <laughs> um, uh, it's for it's for drag queens. It's a quartet of drag queens. And um, I'm forgetting his last name, but uh, his name is Ben. He plays his uh, his alter ego is Rachel uh, in the group. And he recently uh, left to. He's he's a lawyer. He left to, he left the group, but he still he still writes for the group. Um, but he had this beautiful monologue. Uh, we started being gay rights in San Francisco at the height of the you know the AIDS pandemic, um, and uh, he was talking about you know how everything that the community has now is built on the backs of dead gay men. You know it's it's built on the the suffering and the sacrifice, um, and that was really powerful for me. To, you know it was it was something um, you know to to hear those words, and so there is. Uh, there is a spirit in the piece, I hope, of sort of paying homage to um, the people that did not survive, you know, the people mm -hmm. that, um, you know, were, were forced to, you know, live in, without love and were, you know, sadly, you know, perished because of, you know, the lack of caring, the lack of awareness, you know, the lack of, um, lack of help from, you know, outside you know, the rest of the world. So, um, there's that element in the piece too. So, you know, that, that's always been really powerful for me and, um, something that I, I, I hope people really connect with, you know, whenever they perform that. And I hope that they feel that they feel the weight of it, you know, uh, not just the hope, but also the, the weight of the, you know, what, what has come before. Right. And you, and you know, you bring up, you know, you released it last year, pretty much literally when everything shut down, yeah. you know, um, yeah, you mentioned that date and that was literally, yeah, I think that was two days after we were told you're, you're only going to be out for a couple of weeks, you know, and then, you know, we were out for the rest of the school year. So, right. um, so the fact that there hasn't really been much, there hasn't really been a true live performance, at least that, I mean, that I know of, um, the fact that, there's the opportunity now with everything kind of opening back up, live music is happening again, concerts, you know, come this next school year, concerts could be coming back, um, you know, performances for, for groups and whatnot. And uh, for those of you that are interested in this piece, um, along with all, all of other, Rob's other things, you can go right to his website. It's Rob Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, music.com. Um, go check it out and, um, you know, consider it because it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic piece. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. and absolutely. And, you know, not, and people don't really know this, but I had messaged Rob right before we started talking. He's like, I'm actually working on an arrangement. I got to finish. Rob is a workhorse. <laughs> you know, like if you haven't gathered that from our interview so far, like Rob is a workhorse and there's a reason why he's as successful as he is, is because he puts in that work. So um, with that being said, you know, with everything kind of opening up and, you know, you're working on arrangements here and doing things there, what is, uh, what is coming down the pike for you? Uh, what are some things you got coming up in, uh, the next few months here. The next few months. So yeah, I mean, you know, getting getting back to arranging more. Um, you know, I'm excited to um, have. You know, hopefully, groups are going to be able to sing together more in the fall. That's super mm -hmm. exciting. Um, we do have our digital session of Acapella Academy in just about a month. Um, so we're we're gearing up for that and getting that all together. Um, yeah, I've got some got some interesting projects coming down the pipe. I don't know if I can super talk about stuff yet, but I am I'm creating. Um, what can I tell you? I'm creating a new, shall we say, very non-traditional acapella group that you will hopefully get to meet in early 2022. That is my goal. Um, they are a very animated bunch, shall we say. Um, okay. And I'm looking forward to introducing them to the world. Um, right now I'm working on, on creating that music with um, my buddy Harry, who I was in the funks with, Harry Nichols, um, nice. and some other um, singers that I've worked with out here in LA. So uh, that project is coming out. I'm excited about that. Um, continue to work on the choral stuff. Um, I'm really excited for the opportunity to start, you know, singing in person again. Hopefully, you know, it'll be safe to do that soon. And um, yeah, I'm uh, 
Yeah, I got I got other I got other stuff under wraps, but I can't talk about it yet. So <laughs> no, not a problem, not a problem. Yeah. Um, it's, it's gonna it's gonna hopefully be a really exciting twenty twenty two, and I hope that uh, you know it's gonna take it's gonna take some time for the community to recover from this. Um, you know, there's no doubt about that. It's gonna take a little time for people to um, feel safe singing again. I think even more than that, I think it's gonna take a little while for people to feel safe going to concerts with lots of people again, right? I think that that's really going to be the bigger obstacle even than, you know, we've been focused in the, in the world on like, oh, how do we rehearse, right? You know, how do we, um, how do we get together and sing together? And I think that, you know, in smaller groups, that's going to wind up being fairly safe and comfortable soon, hopefully, you know, things go as they, as they should. Um, but, you know, I don't know how long it's going to be till people are really comfortable sitting in, you know, 1600 person auditoriums and watching that show, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so hopefully that will, you know, that will come back on the radar in 2022. Um, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed that, uh, we can get out of this in a way that, you know, we can come back strong. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, again, Rob has been involved with this since he was in high school and just watching, watching from afar. I mean, gosh, it's been what, 12, 13, 14. Oh gosh. Since I was yeah. in high school. Uh, uh, like I th- I'm thinking like 15, we're here. It's 14, like 15 years. I graduated, I graduated from high school in 2006. Yeah. I graduated from college in 2010. Yep. Um, and I, I was in, I was, I moved to Ithaca in 05. So yeah, we're here. Yeah. We're hitting uh wow. It's, it's been crazy to time to flies. Watch. And, time and flies. watching everything that you've been able to do and accomplish, you know, from afar, I'm like, I'm a huge fan, man. Thank and uh, I'm really thankful that you got to be a part of our, our last episode of, uh, of this first season of you the talk podcast. to me and you're like, Oh, I can't, I can't talk to anybody else for a while. This is like, it's enough already. You gotta go out with a bang, you know, you gotta leave them <laughs> wanting more. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to throw this out there just because I think, I think it's funny and this will be like the last thing I talk about. Oh, um, it, well, no, it's not a bad thing is okay. you mentioned, you mentioned Ed Boyer's name. And, uh, for those of you that don't know of Ed Boyer, Ed Boyer, I believe he was in, uh, Tufts, the Beelzebub. Yeah. Yep. That's um, right. but Ed is one of the guys, I mean, outside of Bill Hare, who is like a legend. Um, Ed is one of those guys who basically has put together some of the more popular, um, acapella tracks that you hear out in public, um, most yeah. notably from, uh, Glee and, um, you know, while the Glee is, you know, a while ago, it's like a while back, people still kind of talk about it. Now it's about like how weird Mr. Shoe was as an actual teacher now. But, right. <laughs> but the Dalton Warblers, you know, coming in season two, you actually pulled some of the, uh, the did some of the percussion tracks for that. Uh, That's right. Not necessarily on screen, but, uh, you know, kind of did some of the recordings and stuff, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, weren't a lot of the arrangements that the Warblers did, weren't they coming from the Beelzebubs because they were on the sing-off at one point? They play? were, so they were coming from Ed. So season two, um, season two of Glee, all the Warbler, I'm pretty sure all the Warbler stuff was, uh, the Bales of Bubs and it was arranged and produced by Ed. Um, mm. And then season three, um, I don't remember, they might've done a f- couple of things later in the season, but um, Ben Bram and I uh, did three of those songs. So I did percussion mm. on three of the songs in season three. Um, and he did the, and I also, I also edited them, um, but Ed did those arrangements. Um, and yeah, that came out of us, you know, working on the sing off and they wanted to, uh, the, the Glee production wanted to move um, production for that to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really interesting. This is a whole other thing, but like, it's really, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see now, you know, post COVID whether, you know, the, for a long time, there was this whole ethos of like, oh, we got to bring everything in house. We got to bring everything to LA. Like we got to do it all here, you know, remote. There was, the idea of like doing things remotely was like in the industry was a less approachable topic than it is now. It'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see how that gets modified now that we've been doing everything remotely for a year and a half. Um, but yeah, so we came in uh, season three and uh, Ben produced the, uh, you know, kind of co-produced and coached the singers uh, on those records. Um, and I wound up doing the vocal percussion and uh, doing the editing for that stuff. So, um, you know, we got to go into like the studio where Michael Jackson recorded and like, you know, work nice. with all these incredible um, singers and, uh, and uh, put that together. So yeah, that was a really amazing experience. Which, uh, which was the better experience though, doing that for Glee or your whole sing-off experience? 
Uh, the sing-off experience, absolutely. Because yeah. that was, I mean, the, the Glee thing was fantastic, but it was much shorter and it was like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't get to interact with people as much. You know, the sing-off, the sing-off thing changed my life, absolutely. I mean, that yeah. was just, working on that show totally changed the trajectory of my life, both personally, both personally and professionally, you know, winding up in L.A., um, getting to be part of the community of the sing-off, um, which was really wonderful. And just, you know, the I'm so, I've always been really proud that, the sing-off was, you know, there were a lot of other shows that were sort of in development or talked about pre-sing-off that uh, were not as um, musical or positive or, you know, that were not uh, as representative of what I believe acapella really is, which is very Mm -hmm. musical and very positive. Um, So I'm just, I've always been so thankful and and felt so good about the fact that, you know, the sing-off was sort of the the first representation, the first big representation that people saw of what acapella was, where it was really, you know, it, it wasn't perfect, but it certainly showed the musicianship that goes into it. And, you know, it wasn't all about the drama necessarily. Like it, right. was, it was about the performances and it was about, you know, the vocal pyrotechnics and, and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, that so was one of thought, my favorite things about that show was, was yeah. you know, the judges weren't there to to knock you down. They were there right. to help you. And I thought, like, to me, that's what their job should be. It, it wasn't about being dramatic. It was about right. making them, making uh, the groups better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and giving, like, you know, nerdy feedback that, like, people <laughs> people who were music... It was, it was, you know, it was a show that I think musicians could really appreciate because it mm-hmm. really, you know, it... it it dug into the musicality of what was happening. Um, you know, and as a nerdy musician myself, I always really appreciated that. I was a fan as well as an employee. So, um, yeah, it was really, it was always really great that that was, uh, that that was the, one of the big cores of representation of what we do in the mainstream. Awesome. Well, Rob, it has been, honestly, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and it's been great to be here, catch up and, you know, just, just learn more about, you know, what's been going on. So, uh, Rob Dietz, uh, you can check him out at robdeetsmusic.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Ock Education Podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And the beauty of it is we'll distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And what a way to end the first season of the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you so much to Rob Dietz for joining me this week. I'll see you all in August. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at Aka Ed Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at Official JGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes are released every Wednesday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Akaville Radio, Akaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.